Okay, well, thank you. Um, well, just glad to see everyone again. And uh, I, I guess very blessed to be able to um, reconsider over these weeks uh, things that generally I had not had the opportunity to speak on. You know, when you travel around all the time, the, the nature of the ministry is usually a little different. Mm. Um, it's not so much consistent uh, continuity, mm. uh, able to go through an epistle, go through a subject and consider it. it it's much more kind of, um, I, I don't call it hit and miss, <laughs> but you're moving into situation. I think of some of the churches that are represented here tonight. I, I particularly comes to mind, Mark uh, mentioned um, Huntsville and um, mm. the church that he was based on with Jana for those um, six or 10 or 12 weeks, whatever it was. And <clears throat> how much that church would benefit, I know, from coming under the sound of the Lord's word rightly declared um, because there is in many a, a delightful openness Lord please teach me please show me your ways um, sometimes people have to grow old enough to be disabused of their idealism uh, the nonsense that inadvertently they have drunk into. It's almost as though they have to come to a place where they're emptied of the constructions um, that men and women have put upon things. Um, I I'll give an example which has a bearing on our subject tonight. There is in the United States a very conservative gentleman who has a large church in California. Um, and he's very conservative, well loved by many, and um, often has a very sound word to bring from the Lord. And there, there was, I don't know whether it's still up, a, 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 a bit of a video where he's on stage sitting in a question and answer session. And uh, a, a rather playful and sometimes quite a difficult fellow um, who has a constant presence um, on the YouTube does a kind of uh, whatever you call it blog every day and he asked this man John MacArthur he asked John MacArthur what do you say to and what's the lady's name one of the ladies Southern Baptist who is a well-known preacher all away all around the United States and other parts of the world. Do you know the one I'm talking about? 
Southern Baptist, do you, do you know? Anyway, she has been pushing in her public persona to preach on Sunday mornings in Southern Baptist churches, and it's against their policy. And this rather playful fellow provoked John MacArthur and said, tell me what you think Beth Moore should do. And John MacArthur said, I would tell Beth Moore to go home. And, uh, of course, that sums up a massive tension that that is in the churches um, in North America and Southern Baptists in particular. Tell her to go home. And, um, you know, I'm sure that... Uh, she would have been pretty annoyed at that. <clears throat> but of course, he was put on the spot and had to say something. He said two words. I haven't got one word. I've only got two words. And uh, so we launch into a subject that is fraught with controversy and difficulty. Now, in the epistle that we're looking at and coming from mainly, which is 1 Corinthians, Paul reaches this point. And I think last week or sometime recently, uh, I was trying to bring us and Paul brings us all to the table, to the Lord's table. He brings the Corinthian church away from their own opinions, away from Greek thought, away from Roman thought, away from the false prophets that they'd sat under. And he brings them to Jesus at the head of the table. And everything that Paul says, he's saying, look, I'm an, an apostle of our Lord. Jesus Christ. I'm not a messenger from another God. I'm not a Greek messenger with Greek philosophy influencing me. I'm not a Hebrew uh, with Hebrew things that have been perverted uh, clinging around me. I've received what I bring to you from the Lord now. You're at the Lord's table. Will you come under the word that comes from the Lord, who is the head of the table? And, you know, he's going to move on to things like church gatherings, gathering together, meeting, gifts of the Spirit, ministries of the Spirit. He's going to get intensely practical in 12, 13, 14, first he brings us to the table. First he brings us uh, away from other thoughts, other minds, and he brings us to sit at the feet of the Lord. I don't know whether 
we can grasp this um, as we really should. You know, uh, if if Jesus was here and we were all sat round a massive table, who would you want to listen to? That's the question. Who would you want to hear? Um, his speaking is, is what I'm sure you'd want to listen to. In fact, you'd almost want to keep your mouth shut because you were in the presence, not simply of a man, uh, but of God, the God-man. And the God-man through whom the Father, the Creator created. And so you would want to go right back to God. And when it comes to how church is to be, it is not to be a reflection of American life. Uh, it is not uh, meant to be a reflection of British life, European life, of uh, Hebrew life particularly, certainly Greek life. It is to be a microcosm on the earth of the kingdom of God, of the ways of God, of the heart of God. That's what the church is to be. It's supposed to be a window into heaven. And one of the greatest deceits of the devil, we have to understand, is that he floods out of his mouth using Babylon, you understand that in the book of the Revelation, this isn't my subject, but I'll just say it anyway. You know that the dragon is a father. And that he, the dragon, fathers into the world through a woman. And he fathers into the world a generation of vipers. Now I'm in the book of the Revelation. And before any lady here thinks I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about you. And I'm not even talking about Eve. I'm talking about Babylon the whore. Who is a, a, a picture of worldly philosophy, worldly social living, Worldly, worldly, worldly education, worldly uh, economics, worldly politics, worldly philosophies, and the dragon fathers through all of this system things that are from his spirit and his nature. And he fathers them into the world like the beast, the first beast, with the distinct intention that instead of people 
the, the first piece, does everybody understand that there's a trinity in the book of the Revelation? There's the dragon, the imitation of the father, the false father. There's the first beast. And the first beast is the imitation of Christ. Christ is the truth. And the first beast is the lie. Who seeks to subdue all things under himself. The second beast, who's also called the false prophet, is the lie, the lying imitator of the Holy Spirit. But that, because there's a true trinity, and in all things the devil does, he's the liar, he's the imitator, he's the pseudo. And so one of the issues the church is constantly facing is what the devil is bringing and fathering, the dragon is fathering into the world of that time. He's fathering into the world through the, whatever's popular in the system of Babylon, the whore. And he's bringing forth this into the church so that in the book of the Revelation, in the church of Thyatira, you have a manifestation of the great whore Babylon and her name is mythically called. She's operating. It wasn't her name at all. And what her name was, we don't know. She was a false prophetess and she is nicknamed by Jesus, more or less, Jezebel. Jezebel. So you realize that we are in some very serious ground here. Um, and it's, it's, it's ground that, well, the Lord wants us to hear him and sit at his table. Now, where do you bring in your thinking? That's the thing. When you think about human relationships, male-female relationships, when you think of all of that, where do you begin? Where do you begin? Do you begin with a verse or two of scripture? Do you begin with old-fashioned Paul, as some people call him? who says certain things about men and certain things about women. Do, do you begin there? Old-fashioned Paul. Um, he's rather old-fashioned. And, uh, you know, humanity's growing up, which is one of the greatest lies out. If you and I have not understood that, we haven't understood hardly anything. Man entered into the bliss of economic prosperity and, you know, full of possibilities in the early 20th century. Historically, we have science, we have this, we have discoveries, discoveries, discoveries. 
And then in 1914, who was it said, the lights are going out all over Europe and thus ushered in the 20th century with more wars, more devastation, more totalitarian wickedness than the world had ever seen in all the centuries before it. Thus is man growing up. Um, and we have our professional atheists who think they know everything, like uh, like Richard Dawkins and these sorts of people peddling. And we have the naturalists like David Attenborough. And behold, brothers and sisters, these are among the voices that come from the generation of vipers. And you might think that I am being rather specific and distinct but jesus you remember go and tell that fox you remember that john baptist says you generation of vipers and he said that to the bishops of the day get it clear you say the bishops of the day yeah the priests the high priests the pharisees that's what he called them you see, as I tried to say last night to some of us who are on this day, you know, we're in a battle to the death. And make no mistake about it, that the intent of the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, is deicide. The annihilation of God and the replacement of God and God's ways with the ways that are the ways of the lie. And he's a liar and is the father of it. And that permeates down into everything. Where do you begin? Now, when Paul is seeking to correct the abuse of the woman, that tended to be in society in those days and was no doubt impacting still the church where the woman was regarded in many people as a second-class being and that filtered into the church. Paul writes some correction. He wants them to see. So I'm in beginning in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and I'm beginning in verse 2 where he begins, and he says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So he begins with commendation. Then he says this, but I want you to understand. I want you to understand. Now I remember Becky, who's on here somewhere tonight, I remember a meeting up on the mountain there um, in one of the houses. 
in the house of Hull, I believe. Yes, Is their name yes, Hull, Hull? Paddy yes. Hull and his wife. And that night I spontaneously found myself speaking on wisdom, knowledge, understanding. And the message was not recorded and a lot of it was very quickened that night and I I I Becky said to me, I think, and one or two others, I've never heard anything like that. I didn't understand how great understanding is. To understand. I want you to understand. I don't want you just to know. I just don't want you to have enough wisdom to sort of put things together in right proportion. Only love understands. That's important. A loving heart will slowly come to understand. I want you to understand, Paul says. What do you want us to understand? Where do you begin, O Apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, I don't begin with Adam. I don't begin with Eve. I don't begin <clears throat> even where Bernard began tonight on, on the dragon and the whore. <laughs> I don't begin there. When I want you to think about these things, he said, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Now, put your eye on the scripture and uh, notice where he begins. As far as we're concerned, he begins with Christ. And he said, oh, every man has a head. Now, you know that he's not simply talking about this um, head of ours, you know, that's on our shoulders. Uh, He's talking something deeper than that. He's talking about source. He's talking about authority. Uh, he's, he's talking about those two things in particular. Authority and source. And he says, the head of a woman is her husband. <laughs> and uh, then he says, the head of Christ is God. Now you've got three things there, haven't you? And you can all see what is the meat in the sandwich. All right. You've got the man. And the woman are the meat in the sandwich. And excuse me for putting it that way, but you see, what's so wonderful to me and has been for many, many years is, you know, the relationship, the, the Christ 
mentioned with the man. And then the wonderful thing that uh, God is the head of Christ. That's where we must begin. That's where we must begin. That's where understanding will bring us to. Can I ask you that if you were to sit down with Jesus and say to him, did the headship of God ever harm you? As you lived here upon this earth for 33 years and lived out the relationship that you've had eternally with Father, what kind of God was he to you? Dear, what would the Lord Jesus say? Have you, have you thought about that? What would he say? You see, one of the things that sin and its effects have done to us is corrupted the idea of authority, of headship, of submission. It's tarnished it. It's gone further than tarnishing it. It's, it's distorted it. It's, it's, it's gone into the heat of human hurts and bitternesses of generations. Uh, Sin has so distorted it that the idea of uh, submission and authority has all become distorted. Let's throw it all out. Indeed, let's throw it all out as men and women have allowed it to become. Let's get back to God. Let's ask the blessed Blessed uh, Father and Son, but let's particularly ask the Son, oh, what kind of God was your Father to you? What kind of God? Now, if you had a heart that says, Amen and amen. I've said enough. I've said enough. Because if you had a heart that says, Oh God, in my marriage, in my church, Oh God, in our church, Oh, make the elders, the leaders, whatever you call them, Make them like God was to you, Jesus. (laughs) You getting me? Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? If we were understanding this, we would say, oh, Lord, make my husband uh, to be just like God was to you, Lord Jesus. And husbands would be saying to the Lord, oh God, oh Lord, please make me the kind of man like you, oh God, were to your son. You see, this is where Paul is in his thinking. 
um, it's so wonderful to me um, as I reflect on these things. I mean, in the Corinthian letter, if you slip over to 15, chapter 15, where we were, some of us last night, you know, it, it talks about um, about something that God did for his son. You know, tremendous, really. God did so many things for his son, didn't he? In his authority, in his headship over his son. Um, can you think of some of the things that God did for his son? I mean, here's one. Here's something. All right. His son's about 18 inches long. Been born. Maybe he's two foot by now. Um, I don't know. Maybe he weighs 20 pounds now. He's a baby, a young child. And here's something that God does for his son. Some wise men come along, so-called, you know, who by their uh, rather psychic powers and astrological abilities, they've discerned that someone's being going to be born called the king of the Jews, and they come to worship him. You know, even the souls of natural men can come to certain degrees of wisdom. And they came. They were wise men. And they followed the star. And then you remember the Herod business, don't you? And here's something that God did for his dear son. When his son could do nothing, God sent a dream or two, didn't he? Do you remember the story? Do you remember Joseph getting the dream? And remember the wise men, you know, the that God and what God was caring, exercising headship over his son, protection. And you can go through the Gospels like this as the father, uh, as God is such a God to his son. And you know how God's great love for his son strengthened his son, enabled his son to to go up to Calvary. It, it's remarkable. And you remember what God did for his son, you know, in his headship for him. He said, son, I'll keep my promise. And uh, you'll rise from the dead. Resurrection, you see resurrection and I'll, I'll bring you up here all the promises have been made you see this is headship god god being god to him and then if you're in the one of uh, one corinthians 15 chapter you know it, it says that uh christ verse 23 each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, 
Then at his coming those that belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things under his feet. But when it says all things are not are are put under in subjection under him, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things under him. You know, every part there is to do with God, the head of Christ, enabling Christ (laughs) to put all things under his own feet. And then this lovely submissive Christ giving the kingdom back to the Father, (laughs) to God the Father, And you're in the wonderful dance of the Trinity. You're in the wonderful place where each is in their place. There is a place for everything and everything must be in its place. And if you want to know what sin is, sin is to do with things getting out of their place. That's what it's all about. There is a place for everything. And there is peace when everything is in its place. That encapsulates everything about male, female. There is no insult Can you, let's talk to Jesus again and say, Lord Jesus, have you ever felt insulted that though you be equal with God, you're subject to him? (laughs) Can you ever imagine him saying, well, I was insulted. You know, it was arranged that I had to come down. I mean, you know the mind of Christ, don't you? Philippians 2. Though he was in a place of equality with God, he made himself of no reputation. You see, when Paul is addressing this, male, female, He's not in any way denying equality. There's, There's no thought in Paul's mind. Do we all understand that uh, Jana sitting there or Ginny over there, that you ladies haven't got female spirits? And Mark sitting there and me talking to you, I haven't got a male spirit. You know, as to spirit, 
but in God's great pleasurable creating, he made them male and female. And together they bear God's image. And as I come on to this, immediately you begin begin to see because is the image of God not including the blessed bliss of the united fellowship between father and son and when it comes to working when it comes to what theologically is called the economic trinity that's, that's the official term the 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 economic trinity, the trinity working together to do a work, to make a creation, to bring about life. Sorry if I'm shouting, my wife just waved me down because we've got people next door. We've got neighbours, she says. Neighbours, like perhaps I need to hear this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if I was, as I said last night, if I was on a platform, I'd be pounding up and down. And, uh, you know, because these things, our God, when God is a worker, when he works, he's God in three persons, each in their place and a place for each. A work for the Son, a work for the Father, a work for the Spirit. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, am I crazy? Uh, or is it not wonderful? This is why we need to think about God. We need to know him. And knowing him, this will work out in them to the mutual blessing of every man and woman in God's church who will sit at his table and be taught of Jesus. There will be a place for each and each will learn to be in their place. The female, can you tell me you know, because Paul's going to come on to this further down, isn't he? In, in chapter 11, going back there, he's, he's going to say this, isn't he? Um, down here, verse 11, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. Isn't it a stinking thing that science has achieved the ability to give sterile couples of the female who couldn't have children. Two women cannot have children. But science has discovered a way of preserving seed from a man. Yea, my brother and sister, lesbianism, homosexuality, is where people have left 
their proper place. That's what's happened. In ignorance, no, not just in ignorance often, following the lusts of their own hearts frequently, as all of us have done. But it's it's a leaving of the proper place. You see, woman came from man. That's the garden, isn't it? That's the bliss of the two so fitting together. How many years, how many months, we do not know. Did they work together with God? Did they begin to Edenize the rest of Eden and make it like the garden that God had planted? You see, that's what our calling is. Our calling is to make the rest of the world what God planted. God planted a garden eastward in Eden. The whole of the world was not a garden and the whole of Eden was not a garden. God made the grass, the this, the that, and the other, but God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he placed the man, and he said to man and woman, now you dress it, keep it, fill the earth, subdue it, do it together. Mm. It's not, not the man's work, not the woman's work. It's just the, the image of God, you see. Oh, how am I going to become flesh and into visibility, the Father says. I have a body of sorts uh, that when I'm viewed by prophetic insight like John had, you know, I look like Jasper. But how are the angels going to know in visibility what I am in my depths? And the Son, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, these things are revelation. These things are God. This is what our God is like and the the Son delighting in the headship of his Father. And the father delighting in the headship, uh, in the submission of, and together they work by the spirit in this. This is church. This is what Paul is going to unfold when he's going to come into chapter 12. He's going to talk about um, individual gifting, but members of the body of difference and yet togetherness and the whole working together. We have hardly ever seen it. The world has hardly ever seen it. Hardly the the world has seen a church that's rent by schism, where men are jealous of men, where ministers are jealous of ministers, fellow ministers, where there is division and argument. And uh, people do not keep their places. That's the thing. And I look at these things and, You know, uh, if I come down in these uh, 
verses in chapter 11. You see, I don't want to get hooked on veils or not veils, but I will say this to you all. I will say this. Do you know what the Hajj is? Anyone who knows what the Hajj is? Nod. Yes, you know. It is when a Muslim, especially a man, heads off and makes his pilgrimage to Mecca. And he goes. And he sees and he participates in the demonic. Deeper in. Do you know what he has the right and delight to do from then on? As an outward sign that he's made the Hajj. He puts on a veil, a hat, a skull cap. He veils his head. How about that? And if you reflect upon a little bit, oh, those Jews, those priests, those Pharisees, Paul included, in his earlier days, as they went into the presence of God, Their heads were covered. Their heads were covered. You get that? Because everything was veiled. God was veiled in the Old Testament. The glory of God was not seen. It had not been seen. The true, full, wondrous glory of God had not been seen. And therefore, man's head that represents the glory of God, as Paul mentions here, it was covered. It was covered. And you remember when the glorious veil of Jesus' flesh was torn at Calvary and the veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple, revealing that it was empty, there was nothing there. There was no glory in that temple, my brothers and sisters. The glory had long departed. It was just a dark room. Amazing. And when the veil was rent in twain, and one of the most amazing things in this little section of scripture humanly speaking, is what Paul says about man. Because you understand that Paul is saying here, any man, verse 4, who prays or prophesies with his head covers covered, dishonors his head. That's remarkable. What a revolution for Paul. To get his skull cap off. Mm. 
You understand that he would have spent all his youth, teenage years in the school of Gamaliel with all those other fellow students and young Pharisees worshipping God with his head covered because he was veiled. In his heart, he was darkened, seeking but darkened. And then when the glory was revealed in the face of Jesus Christ to him, hallelujah, he was released and the veil came off and he, he began to pray and prophesy and preach with his head uncovered. You see, there's symbolism here, yes. You might say, well, it's not very relevant to today. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in one sense, I understand that argument. But in another sense, isn't it wonderful to find a man who opens the door generally to his wife or to a lady? Isn't it wonderful to see a gentlemanly man? Eh? Something where the image of God is peeping through in acts of kindness. You see, I will tell you what will happen when a woman keeps not her place. It will lead to her taking over the place of the man. And she will become a distortion of the true woman, which includes the true woman, which includes people like Deborah, the prophetess, which includes the true woman <coughs> like Mary, the handmaid of the Lord which includes J.L. with the tent peg in her hand, <laughs> you know, and driving it through the head of the enemy. Do you know that story there, Sisera? You know, true womanhood's not all about being, you know, meek and all the rest of it. <laughs> Amen. You see, these are all lies. It's coming to your place, sister. True manhood is about us. There is a place for a man. And you know, it's so, so sad. You know, as I look at these verses, I come down to this strange one. It may be strange to some of you, and, and I guess for a little while it was to me until slowly a little understanding began to come. I only have a little. Uh, a woman, verse 10, a woman ought to have a veil on her head. But it's this little bit that really can is, is something amazing. Because of the angels. Yes. Isn't that remarkable? Because of the angels. Why did Paul say that? Angels interested in, in men and women being in their proper places? 
Well, obviously, obviously, angels are interested. In fact, deeply concerned. You know that um, the bride of Christ be truly submissive to her head. And that being represented by male, female in the church, working together. Because you know that there was a time, you know, angels, they don't die, do they? They don't die. I don't know whether you've ever seen one. They're magnificent. And, you know, they have their places. And when God created, you get little insights to this, especially Revelation 4. Oh, it's wonderful. You can see that God had thrones and elders and living creatures and angels innumerable. And they're all in their places and there was not a bleat there was not a cry there was not a noise there was no discord when everything was in its place because there was a place for everyone some of them were archangels there were authorities and rulers and dominions all connected with stars and other parts of the creation. It's wonderful. And then there came a day when angels kept not their place. Are you understanding? Not if you are. Because they kept not their place. From what the Revelation book in chapter 12 tells us, there was an, at least a third of them who kept not their place. And uh, in amongst them, there was an archangel, a, a, an extra special one whose extra speciality and unique powers somehow helped spawn the the utter lie that he could be as God, the creator. And he kept not his place and he infected others. And truly he is the dragon. He truly he is the old serpent. Truly. And look at the discord. Look at the divorce. Look at the dissection. Look at everything gone mad. Because those beings kept not their place. And so the angels look at us. They look at us. Can we keep our places? Have I learned my place? Have I learned my place as a husband? I can only say I'm learning. You better ask my wife when you get her alone <laughs> whether I'm doing better. 
learning my place. You better ask me in the church, did I, did I do so well in my earlier days in the churches? Did I keep my place under the headship of Jesus? Did I go out into my own dreams or willfulnesses and cause trouble in the church? Did I, do I do better now? That's the thing. Am I, have I learned my place? Am I keeping my place? Is all this coming home to us? Or have I grasped? Have I gone out of my place? The angels are looking. They want an example. They want to see the kingdom of God. They want to see the image of God coming into further visibility. They saw it in Jesus. But in this, Jesus was alone. Now Jesus has a wife. Betrothed. His church. And is his church learn, learning to be in its place? You know, are we under his headship? Do we let him, oh, be our head? Just like Jesus. Let the Father be his head. Oh, how you love me, Father. How you love me. How you care for me. You know, it's not by chance that when Jesus begins his ministry in the 5th, 6th and 7th of Matthew, you know what he keeps talking about? You check me up. Put a ring round it every time you see him. My father. My father. Your father knows you. Your father loves you. You know, the father supplies. What are you being anxious for? Jesus is talking from experience because he had such a wonderful head. Oh, dear. We're far away, aren't we? <laughs> Some of us, perhaps all of us. But perhaps we've got a heart to, to come to this more. Uh, to, you know, what's the use of talking about what's your gift if you're not under the headship? If you're still drinking into the spirit of satanic rebellion, throwing off authorities, isn't, isn't that what's being fathered from Satan, the serpent, through the woman? through that horrible whore, has so many children in our day. You know, and one of the things that they teach is don't keep your place. Grasp. Let's supply a war or two, shall we? Switch drives the ladies into the work places so that they begin to get a taste of living outside their place more deliberately let's devastate 
the men by the bloody things they see and become and let them come home and be careless and let them abuse their women sexually. Let, let it happen. You see, this is 20th century, isn't it? Where men, uh, the hardness, I'm talking about the First and the Second World War. You know, where, where relationships, you know, such as they were in a measure of pattern began to be corrupted. Reasons, a few, that shape. Or if you go to China and think of it earlier where, you know, the, the matriarch, the matriarch, the dominant one, or go to where Roman Catholicism has reigned and influenced society, the worship of Mary, which is a great deception, has mothered in to the world in Roman Catholic countries, the matriarchal family. It's an amazing thing. And so the men seek to grasp their independence and they get away from mother if they can. And they grow up and then they begin to abuse and not know how to be proper husbands to their wives if they have one. And if they become elders, you know, I've met such hard-hearted elders and leaders, preachers who've been such tough nuts. I don't know whether they're on tonight, because I can't see everyone, but, you know, I know a man, and I felt so unhappy about that man. Became a great preacher, but in his, all the churches that he was in charge of, the elders had the right, along with the husband, to spank wives. A charismatic set of churches. If the wife was displeasing to husband, the elders would spank the wives. What do you call it? A paddle. In Australia, my wife would have to get permission to paddle a naughty student. It was allowed. She was involved in a Christian school there. But you, you understand, uh, but I don't know whether, you know, you find these things a little bit hard to stomach, but I tell you the contrast mm. between church and world should become so stark. Mm. So different, so different because of God, because you're coming into understanding. You know, I turn over in my Bible and I look in the book of Jude and Jude, which comes just before the book of the Revelation. And it is not by chance that we read this. Um, 
where it, it says about uh, the perversion of the grace of God into licentiousness. This is Jude verse 4. And deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, verse 5, though you were once for all fully informed, that he who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels that did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling. That's my version. I happen to be using, what is it today? Just one of the versions I've got. They left not, they left their proper dwelling. Do you remember the word in the book of John where Jesus is talking and uh, he's talking to his disciples and he says, abide in me. Remember that? It's the same word, proper dwelling, abiding place. You know, our God, you know, in Christ, you know what he's done. Our father has grafted us into his son. And we are a partaker of his life. Christ the vine, rooted in the father, sustained by the father. The father is the fountain of life. And all alive comes through the blessed son and comes to us and he's put us in his son. He hasn't put us in 21st century thinking about human sexuality. He hasn't put us in 21st century opinions of professors about the legitimacy of changing your sex. He hasn't put us there. He's put us in his son. And he put those blessed angels in their proper places, deriving their life from God, their creator. And, oh, their bliss it must have been to be about God's business. For how long, we know not. And then, it says they kept not their proper dwelling. They left it and have been kept by him in eternal chains in the nether gloom until the judgment of the great day. Now that tells you something. Now don't Think about some place somewhere where God's put them. They've gone somewhere and they've gone into nether gloom. When people keep not their proper place, they begin to enter the place of chains. Am I making sense? In their experience, 
they enter into the place of a bondage. I'm now thinking of a lady who occasionally walks past our door, very rarely, visiting a relative. She's quite a high up in London, in one of the famous football clubs, soccer clubs. Holds a high roll. Her face is covered with the misery of someone in a prison because she's left not her proper place as a woman and she formed a deep and powerful bond for many years with another woman and they lived together and then that woman left her and she is not happy, she's in another gloom you see these are the things that are so 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 terrible and husbands and wives you must you must say oh Lord Jesus teach me your ways oh Lord teach me your ways your gracious well I, I just come back in my mind I wonder if Huntsville Church um uh, sing it. I remember sitting at the keyboard and playing and teaching the song. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy ways. Thy gracious aid afford. Teach me thy ways. Oh, wonderful Lord. You see, that's what he wants to do. He wants us to be subject to him. Isn't it wonderful? I think... In some ways, Hayden and I have had a pretty easy life. I'll tell you one of the reasons. My dear wife had a loving father who cared for her and was a pure and good father to her. And then when my wife was 24 years old, she was driving with her father and her mother in the car and someone hit them head on and her father was killed and her mother was injured from which she never recovered. But my precious wife, if she wasn't my wife then, she was just about my fiancée and she yielded to God his first choices. She never took first choices. She yielded to God in second choices. And then God gave to her another father who happened to be my father who was a tender, loving man, a good man. And so she had a kinder replacement father who took to her warmly and gathered her in. And again, you know, part of the reason in our lives, I think, is that we've always responded to God's first choices. That's what we've tried to do, to keep our place 
I'm not saying we've always succeeded. I know I haven't. I think in this, my wife is an example to me. But you see, we've hardly had a day of trouble in our going forward together. It has been harmony in the work of the Lord. Each in their place, because each has understood that each has a place ordered of God. There's been no competing. She's never competed with me. And uh, I hope I haven't with her. And you see, not that in remotely I set ourselves up as great examples, because we're not. We know only too well our follies and failures. But we have learned something of the great heart of God in this. And we would encourage others. We would encourage young wives that are on and young husbands. Young husbands, let God teach you how to be a real man. A real man is like four or five people rolled into one. You meet him one hour and he's homo ludens. He's man in laughter. That's what homo ludens means. Man in joy, man in happiness, man in laughter, man loose. And you meet him the next hour and he's homo sapiens. He's man upright, straight and firm and clear and I could go through a whole list of homo this and homo that you know and the next hour you meet him this is real homo and uh, the next hour you meet him he's the tender man you are, you're understanding me this is the kind of man do you want to be this kind of man brother will you come under the headship of he who's under the headship, Christ. <laughs> come under the headship of Christ, who's under the headship of the Father. Let's come in to fellowship with the Godhead more than we ever have done. Let's let his wonderful grace heal us of the hurts. Because we've all, I've done it. Men that abused did was I kind to my sisters two of them both younger definitely not I was a horrible fellow at times to my sisters careless of them do you, do you understand and you know ladies oh precious sisters hurt by careless men by callous men us men have got to repent. I, I went to buy, buy a rocking chair. Uh, you know, uh, there's something called Amazon Marketplace. And uh, this rocking chair was for sale. And I went to get it. 
I think it was for one of the children, one of our grandchildren. So they'd have a lovely reading chair to rock in, you know. (laughs) And I got there and it was a beautiful chair. (coughs) And the lady came and she, she said it was my nursing chair. And I said, oh, how many children have you got? And she said, three. And I said, uh, how's your husband? He's gone. He's long gone. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, uh, did he abuse you? Aren't I a cheeky fella? Did he abuse you? Well, yes. I said, I, I'm so sorry for you. I said, us men need great reformation. And she said, it's all right. But I said to her, but you're hurt, aren't you? There's someone who can heal you. Mm. And then I picked up the chair and off I went. She said, it's 50 pounds. And I said, it's worth more. I'll give you 60. (laughs) So that's what happened. But you see, it's everywhere. Mm. It's everywhere. Oh, Jesus is the great healer. And you will only become a healing man if you dwell under the healer himself and a subject unto him and begin to bear his image more perfectly with ungoverned head. And sister, you know what you must do. You must live under the headship of Christ through your husband, through men, and they must take care of you with tender love. And in that realm, you will find a place that maybe will make you into something of a, what did I call her? What was the lady's name in Judges? Deborah. Deborah, that's right. Jael, Mary, Martha. Mary, sister of Martha, hallelujah, precious women, precious women. Every act that the Lord Jesus did in his redemptive ministry, everything was redeeming. Everything. Can you tell me, who did he appear to first? Where did he appear to that person? Where did the dragon come? That old serpent. Who did he come to and tempt her not to keep her place? Just like he had not kept his place, he tempted her and through her, the man kept not his place. And the man has to bear responsibility, not her. It was in a garden and it was in a garden that there was a weeping lady and her name, you remember, 
and how the Lord Jesus did by her grief that she didn't recognize him. She's supposing him to be the gardener, you remember. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary. Now you go and tell those men. (laughs) You go and save those men. You be the first evangelist. Are you getting me? There's such a blessedness in God's ways. I hope I haven't said too much tonight. I hope I've said enough to perhaps things you've already thought a a bit about, but to begin to usher you into a place of understanding. Oh, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Father, change us men. Make us like you. Like your son. Oh, Father. That's my prayer. (laughs) Is it yours? Is it yours? Teach me your ways, oh, Lord. You know, I've told this story before, but I think, You know, it's so wonderful, the way that God works, you know, transforming people, transforming them. There's no need for competition, brothers and sisters. There's much room for improvement in us all. Oh, there's much room for single sisters to be protected and loved and encouraged and helped. There's much room for them not to be segregated as fodder to be used in church. Oh, there's much room for married families to open their doors and unto hospitality and love. I know we're in the, the, what you call it at the moment, the pestilence. And it is a pest. But everything God allows and sends has blessing in it. As we are tasting right now together, aren't we? Wouldn't have had this if we hadn't had the COVID. Oh, Lord, enlarge our hearts. Well, I've said enough, Mr. Mark, I think. And, oh, you know, my heart is full in these things. And uh, I wish I'd done better in my life. I wish I'd done better. But I can do better now with understanding. I want you to understand. (laughs) Amen. And so now, Paul, having said these things, and bid them look away to the precious relationships of father and son, 
And I tell you how it all worked in the days of his flesh. It all worked by the communion of the Spirit. It all worked because Jesus was walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, full of the Spirit, in the anointing of the Spirit. And if you tell me I'm full of the Spirit, if you say that about yourself, then this kind of thing mm. that I'm seeking so poorly to describe will increasingly come up in you. You'll find your place, your delight in your place, you'll serve in your place, you'll have joy in your place, and you will not have a sad visage because you're grasping at another place. Oh, Lord, so may it be for all of us. <laughs> so may it be. Amen.